Amen. You know, we had our third anniversary uh, last week, and I, we were in the church, and I, I told the church, I said, you know, uh, she and Dean were married 44 years, and Jackie and I were married 44 years. That's 88, and now we're married three. That's 91. I feel like I ought to be able to say we, we got 91 years of marriage experience. So uh, <clears throat> when we leave here, we're going to Portland, Oregon to do a several-day marriage seminar, so we'll draw on some of that. But, uh, uh, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God's doing. Amen. I'm delighted about what the Word will do for you, that we found out that there's some things that faith in the Word of God will do and help us to do and cause us to do and put us over and beat the devil with. Amen. Aren't you glad that you're a Christian? Yeah. You're in the unique position that you, you qualify to do some things that nobody else on the planet qualifies for. You know, and all this terrorism that's going on and the, and the, 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 the bombs and the shootings and, the, and then the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the the death and deceasement and garbage and junk and attacks of the enemy, and all those things are spirit-controlled. Isn't that right? You know, um, terrorists are demon-possessed. Terrorism's a spirit, and the church is the only entity on the planet that's equipped to handle a demon spirit. You know, nobody else is equipped to do that. And uh, so, you know, you're in a unique position. You're in a unique position to be constantly... I feel like the church is just kind of sitting in, 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 in a control tower at an airport just... Just watching over things and controlling that and controlling that and stopping this disaster and stopping that disaster. Amen? And if we'll pray and we'll hear from the Holy Ghost and we'll get in the Word of God, then we'll be able to take care of those things before they ever happen. In fact, they'll be a non-news event because they never happen and nobody will ever know what you did until we get to heaven. Amen? So thank God for church. I think church is the best thing that God ever came up with. Uh, after after salvation, after Jesus, I think church is the best idea he had because it gets us together in a corporate sense, in a corporate uh, 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 situation where we can use corporate prayer, corporate faith, corporate praise, corporate belief in God, and things happen. Amen. So thank God, thank God, thank God. Amen. It's been quite a uh, it's been quite a a month. We've been involved in disaster relief, of course, and. In, uh, in Texas and in Puerto Rico, and then, of course, when uh, the earthquakes hit Mexico, we were very involved in that and got uh, trailer trucks going, in, uh, going into Mexico on a daily basis. In fact, we've got some coming out of California going into Mexico on a daily basis. So uh, we're just excited about it. You know, when, when there's a disaster hits, it's always the church that's the first one there. Always is, always has been, always will be. It's the church that gets there first, and it's the church that stays there the longest, and it's the church that when you give the money, it actually gets there. Amen. It actually gets to where it's going. And we can attest to that over years and years and years and years. And, and a lot of organizations, you know, that, that, that's, that's what they do for a living is just uh, do disaster relief. But, but they, they have such big corporations, such big overhead that uh, sometimes only a dime of what you give actually gets to where it was supposed to go. And 90 cents of it gets eaten up in the, uh, you know, in, in the system. And I understand that, you know, they have to have a, a trash can in their office, so that comes out of your money, and they have to have a computer in their office, so that comes out of your money, and they have to have a light bulb, that comes out of your money, they have to buy toilet paper, that comes out of your money, uh, and it's called overhead. For their office to run, they've got to be able to pay salaries, and, you know, so your, your, your giving uh, to those organizations pay all that overhead, and then a little of it trickles down uh, to where it's supposed to go. But when you give through the church, 
then it just goes 100% where it's supposed to go. You know, we started an, we started an organization years ago just called the Jackie Myers International Children's Foundation, and y'all have helped us with that with orphans, and every year y'all give to us for Christmas for orphans uh, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, you know, 100% of that money, I mean 100%, goes to where you give it to. Uh, we decided long, whenever we started, we decided we're not going to take any overhead out. We'll just, we do have overhead, but we'll just cover that overhead out of Terry Myers Ministries, and we won't have Jackie Myers International Children's Foundation cover one dime of overhead at all. And so everything you give uh, always goes 100%. And there are organizations and ministries that do that. Then there are some good worldly organizations where the CEOs take, take no, no salary at all, uh, no profit at all, and, and, and the majority of your money goes where it's going. You need to check that out and, and see, where that's, uh, see where that's going. I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day, to Renee's mother, who, and I've known her for 43 years. And uh, Jackie and I used to spend the night at her, her house, her and, and, and her husband's house, uh, her and Renee's dad's house years and years ago. And uh, <clears throat> I was talking to her about some of these organizations and what they're doing and, and what we're doing and what other things are going on. And she said, well, I've been mad at the Red Cross since World War II. <laughs> and I said, well, you've been mad that long. I don't, I don't think I'll just leave it alone. So I'll, I'll just, <clears throat> we'll just, uh, but we do want to find out where our money's going. Amen. We give you a good little report. You know, you help us every year at Christmas time with the orphans. We give to, this last year we gave to 12 different homes in five different nations and gave over $40,000 for, uh, for Christmas uh, and just to help them and bless them. And then uh, we went back after that and had a pastor's conference in, in March and had a tremendous pastor's conference. And then we got a report just, uh, was it just this month or last month, we got a report that said 300 of those gypsy pastors that I've been ministering to for 20 years, 300 of those gypsy pastors have made a decision they're going to break away from what they call their union. They have unions in you know, what we'd call a denomination. Uh, they're breaking away from their union that they've been a part of all their lives, and they're going to follow the word of faith and follow us and follow what we've been preaching. And, and uh, you know, they've never allowed women to preach. And of course, I have, I have women preach when I go, and in the last three years that Renee's been with me, or, or I guess you've only been with me two years, and uh, have had her preach both times. And, and uh, they came up to us this last time after she preached, and they said, you know, we, we may need to rethink this woman preaching situation. I said, well, you may need, you may need to. But they wrote me the other day, and they said, we're going to embrace, you know, what you've taught us, that we're going we're to have women in the ministry and, and, and make women equal, and, and uh, we're going to just uh, follow the word of faith, and we're going to just get out of the union, and we're going to make sure that we're honorable and, and have integrity and, and blah, 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 blah. But I was really pleased, after working with them for 20 years, I was really, really pleased to have that kind of, of a report. Amen. Well, stand up with me and let's go before the Lord in prayer. And uh, the longest I've ever preached in one service is ten and a half hours. So you, uh, you set your faith and let's see if we can get out of here before that. Uh, I don't feel that anointing today, but you know, uh, I, I didn't that night either. So, so uh, you'd, be happy if it, you'd be happy if it did. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you and give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty and dominion. Thank you for being in the house of God today. Thank you for the church. Father, thank you for Pastor Mike and Beth uh, overseas and that that they're seeing and studying and doing and looking into and receiving from. We thank you that they can get away and they can immerse themselves in that Bible history in the lands of the Bible. And we thank you for that. And we give you the glory for that. We believe you to bring them home safely, uh, keep them, protect them on their journey, uh, pour into them and give them input and give them rest. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for it. And, Father, we commit these five services to you, this today and next Sunday and then Wednesday. 
Father, I pray that, as I've already talked to you about, that I'll not speak of myself nor in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now. Think through my thoughts. Speak through my lips. Minister words that will get on the inside of us and create faith, for faith comes by hearing the word. Faith comes, faith comes, faith comes by hearing the word of God. As we preach the word of God in all these services, faith will rise in this house. Faith will rise. Faith will rise in this house. And, Father, as faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Give you honor in advance in the majestic and holy name of King Jesus, a name that heaven's never failed to honor nor hell's never failed to tremble at, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated and turn your Bible to uh, James chapter 2. And... Uh, you guys got a bottle of water over here? Well, I looked under there. I didn't see any. Excuse me. Oh, okay. I thought somebody just watered up a napkin through down there. <laughs> That's fine. And really, I need you to dig out a, a bandage for my thumb. I don't know where the one I had on went, but it's gone. And I'd hate to gross these people out. I had surgery on my thumb last week, still got the stitches in there, and y'all don't need to see that. In fact, there's somebody here who knows how to take them out. I need them out this week while I'm here. I have another one. I've, I, just the big one will do. I'm trying to find it. Okay, when you get it, let me know. You found James chapter 2 yet? I want to talk to you about faith this morning, uh, oddly enough. And uh, I... Uh, you know, I've got a daughter at home that's now 38 years old and works in the medical field, but all her life. Oh, thank you. Thank you. There's some real-life Band-Aids. Yeah, that's just a bigger, bigger one. It'd just help it look not so bad if I decide to lay hands on somebody. <laughs> and I had one just like it on when I walked up here or somewhere between here and the office. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, I've got a daughter that's now in the medical field, and all her life she'd say, can I take the stitches out? So she'd run taking everybody's stitches out. So if there's one of those in here today, come see me. Praise the Lord. Everybody says, what would you do to your thumb? I, you know, because I've had it all bandaged up from surgery. A little girl asked me in a restaurant, and I, I'm, I, just, I think Renee was mean to me. But uh, we're not sure exactly what happened. I know I was fishing a year ago. And I put a fish hook pumped through my thumb. And we kind of think that's what started it. So I just grabbed it and yanked it out, and that wasn't too good for it, you know. And Now, I've had a gazillion fish hooks in me over the years, but never past the barb. This one I put past the barb. And uh, anyway, so I pulled it out. And they think that got infected and caused a little something, something to go on. So they did surgery on me this last week. So um, it looks nicer now. James chapter 2. What does it profit, verse 14? What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say to him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, but you don't do anything for him, you don't give him that's what's needful for the body, what does it profit him? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, You have faith, I have work. You, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. I think that's one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. James said to those guys, hey, come on, you want to put this to the test? I'll show you my faith. I'll demonstrate my faith to you. 
said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Because if you're in faith, you're doing something. Amen? If you're in faith, you're doing something. If you're not doing anything, you're not in faith. And I've had people for many, many, many years, well, not even years, the decades, uh, they've come to me and said, Brother Terry, I'm, I'm believing God for this, and nothing's happening, this isn't going on, this isn't that. And I said, well, what are you doing? And they said, well, you know, we're standing. And I say, well, yeah, but what are you doing? Well, we're, we're, we're standing. The Bible says, you know, to, to, to stand, therefore. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but what are, you, what are you doing? Well, we're, we're standing. I say, yeah, but I'm not sure you're qualified to stand. Well, what do you mean I'm not qualified to stand? I say, well, the Word says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. So you're not qualified to stand, therefore, until you've having done all to stand. So if you haven't done anything, if you just pray, oh, Lord, I need this thing, thank you, now I'm standing, <laughs> it's most likely not going to work because you're not qualified to stand until you've done something. Are you here? That was worth a million dollars. You ought to write that down. That'll help you for decades and decades and decades. If you're not, do, if you're not doing anything, you're not in faith. Faith is something we like to talk about in church all the time, but James tells us three times here, he says, hey, faith without works is dead. Faith isn't any good by itself. You can't just plaster faith up there and say, oh, I'm a faith guy. I'm a faith woman. We got, we got faith kids. Our, our, you know, we're, we're word people. We got, a, we got a word dog and a word bird, and we sing word songs, and we got a word church and a word pastor, and we're just standing in faith. Well, are you really? Are you qualified to stand? You don't qualify to stand until you've actually having done all. And once you've having done all and there's nothing else for you to do, you've done everything, then you're qualified just to sit back and smile and relax and stand and expect God to come through. Amen. So I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, Thou believes there's one God. You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I think he's trying to get something across to us. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son on the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and works was in, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. If you don't watch out, you'll have Christians telling you, oh, works aren't important, you know, just forget about the works, just stand in faith. Well, no, they go, they go hand in hand. Faith isn't going to work without those works. Amen. If we're going to be in faith, we're going to have to have done something. You see then that, that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Then he goes into the story of Rahab the harlot. He said she was justified by works. And she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, listen, he's going to repeat himself a third time. For as the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Also. The word tells us very plainly that we are the ones. Now pay attention to this. We are the ones on whom the ends of the earth have come. We're the ones. You're it. Did you ever play tag when you was a kid? You'd run around and chase other kids. Then when you, you touch one of them, you say, tag, you're it. Well, that, that's what God's saying to us. He's saying, we, you are the ones upon whom the ends of the earth 
or the end of the ages have come. Tag, you're it. See, we're doing something nobody's ever done before. We're pastoring last day's churches. We're living in last days. We're doing last day's thing. Nobody's ever done that before. We don't know how to do it. We're just figuring it out as we go along. But uh, how many of you know we, we really are in the last days? Jesus, Jesus himself said in the last days that there's going, to be, uh, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We've got some wars going on now. We've got several serious rumors going on that there might be some more. Isn't that right? It said there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be all these crazy, crazy things happen in all these crazy, crazy places. So we might wake up and sniff which way the wind's blowing and figure out that, hey, these are the last days and we're it. We're the ones on whom the ends of the ages come. And as I said a while ago, you're, you're the only entity, the church is the only entity that has the power and the wisdom and the knowledge and the supernatural help to get all this stuff done. You know, we're, we're, we may be a small group compared to the world's population, but uh, it's that small group that's going to get the job done, not the big group. Amen? You know, the pool is great big. There's over 7 billion people on the planet. But then that pool starts getting narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down to those who are really going to get the job done. Tag, you're it. You know, after my wife passed away, after Jackie passed away, I had so many people trying to get me married off. And uh, I, had, I had friends, and I hope they were all friends, <laughs> and relatives, and pastors. I mean, I go and preach in church, and pastors have these women. I want you to take these women out. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, then my kids got to talking to me about it one day, and my daughter-in-law came up to me, and she said, there's this really great girl, and I really want you to meet her, and I really want you to take her out. And, uh, and I said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she said, she's going on talking and talking, and she said, and she's 43. And I said, she's what? I said, you're 43. I said, I don't want to raise somebody. I said, if they don't know who John Wayne is, they don't know who Ronald Reagan is, they don't know what Vietnam was, then I don't want to raise somebody. Are you here? But I made this statement, and the same as I just said about the Christian pool. I said, you know, my pool's pretty, pretty shallow. If I'm going to get married again, I said, you know, first of all, they've got to be, you know, like a woman. <laughs> but then they've got to be a Christian. Then they've got to be a spirit-filled Christian. Then they've got to be a word-of-faith spirit-filled Christian. Then they've got to believe in missions. Then they've got to understand that I give all my money away all the time. There's just some, there's some conditions here that makes that pool get smaller. I said, Ann, I want a widow. And my, my daughter-in-law said, well, there's nothing wrong with a divorcee. I said, I know there's nothing wrong with a divorcee. I said, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a widower and I'd like to have a widow. I want somebody that stayed to the end. Are, are y'all here? And I want to be my age. So the pool gets real small. Right? And that's the way we are as Christians. Our pool gets pretty small on who can really stand up and take authority over the devil. Now, as far as ability, every Christian has the ability. But the majority of them don't know they do. And the ones that know they do don't know how to. 
The ones that don't have, don't, those that know how don't really want to get up and fight. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So the pool just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, but it comes down to the point that it's tag your it. We are the ones to whom the end of the age has come. God is depending on us. God is looking to us. And James tells us three times here that faith without works is dead, that we're going to have to operate in faith, and that faith demands action. doesn't just require action. It demands action. Faith isn't going to work without action. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know and how many scriptures you confess and how many times you go to church. If you're not, if you're not moving in action, you're not moving in faith. Amen. Now, Brother John Osteen was a, Joel's daddy, the, the original house of Osteen, uh, was a really good friend of mine and was a pastor to me in my life. Now, he wasn't my pastor as far as me. I never lived in Houston and everyone's Lakewood Church, so he wasn't my pastor by, like, like Mike's your pastor that you live here in his where you come to church. But, you know, I lived in Mexico and was doing missions and he pastored in Houston, but he was a pastor to me. You know, Paul made this statement in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 9 verse 2. He said, he said, I'm not an apostle to everybody, but I am to you. Right? And Brother Osteen wasn't, wasn't a pastor to everybody, but he was to some, and I'm one of the ones that he was pastor to. And so, you know, we're going to have people in our lives, and y'all, a lot of y'all, I know I've got my spiritual authority series, and you've heard me talk about this. You're going to have people in your life that are pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, that they may not be a pastor to everybody or an apostle to everybody or a prophet to everybody, but they are to you. And you're not going to have 30 or 40 prophets in your life most likely, but God's going to have... God's going to have one show up or an apostle show up or a pastor. You're not going to have 18 pastors, but God's going to have you. you there's going to be one that's a pastor to you. Pastor Mike is a pastor to you. Are you here? He may not be a pastor to the guy down the street, but he's a pastor to you. If you let him be, that's not up to him, it's up to you. If you say, that's my pastor and I receive him as my pastor, and I'm going to listen to him as my pastor, and I'm going to give him honor and respect as my pastor, and I'm going to pull on him, pull on that gifting in him as pastor, then he'll speak things into your life uh, that nobody even realizes what he's doing. He may not realize what he's doing either. He's just up here preaching, get, get off on a rabbit trail, and answer your question because you're pulling on that gift. Amen? And so, so Paul said, I'm not an apostle to everybody, but I am you. Well, Brother Osteen wasn't a pastor to everybody, but it was to me. And so uh, I spent time with him both in person and then uh, and in Houston and then on the road, and we did preach conventions together and different things like that and went in foreign countries together and such, so on and so forth. And then we'd just talk on the phone from time to time. He'd call me up wherever I was in the world, or I'd call him up and say, hey, i got a problem, or I need to talk, or whatever. So he would move into that pastoral gift, and he made this statement to me one time way back in the 70s. Um, he uh, said it from the pulpit to thousands of people, but way back in the 70s, the first time I ever heard it, he said it personally to me. And he made this statement. And it's just a paraphrase of what we just read in James, in James about faith. And Brother John said this to me. He said, Terry, he said, God is a good checker player. And I said, sir? He said, God is a good checker player. And he doesn't move out of turn. And I said, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. And he said, well, he said, if you're praying and believing God for something and nothing's happening, it may be your turn. <laughs> you're playing checkers with God and he moves. Then he waits and 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 he waits because he's a good checker player and he's not going to move out of turn. He's not going to move until you've moved. 
And then when you move, you could say, okay, Father, it's your move. And then he'll move. Then it'll be your move again. And then when you move, then you can say, okay, it's your turn, and he'll move. So if you're just sitting in this situation where you're praying for something, believing God for something, like you're, in, you're stuck, you're in a stalemate, you're wondering why heaven's brass and why God isn't listening and why God's not moving and why things aren't happening, then you might ought to stop and see whose turn it is. Amen. I've always told people this. I was all, I've always said, well, if, if you don't know what to do next, go back to the last thing God told you to do. Go back to the last thing that you know that you know that you know that you know. You're positive that God told you to do something and see if you did that or not. Because if you haven't done that, then God's just not going to do anything about it. And the next time you ask him, what is it you want me to do? He's just going to say, same thing. (laughs) Same thing I told you last time. You know, when God brought the children of Israel to the promised land, uh, it doesn't take 40 weeks to, to walk from Egypt to Israel. You can walk it yourself in a couple of weeks. And yet it took them 40 years to ever make that circuit. Isn't that right? They walked over there pretty quick. When they got there, God said, okay, now arise and go over this Jordan. And they didn't. Instead, they sent out 12 spies. We talked about that last time I was here. They sent out 12 spies and... Ten of those spies came back and said, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. And so the ten spies turned the two million Jews away from the things of God. And so they wandered around the wilderness because of that for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years. And then after 40 years is over, everybody from 21 years old and older is dead. Moses is dead. Then God brings them right back to that same spot on the Jordan and tells Joshua... Now arise and go over this Jordan. Same thing I told you 40 years ago. He's not going to give you a new instruction till the old instruction gets done. Amen? Now arise and go over this Jordan. Where did I hear that before? Same spot 40 years ago. Only Moses didn't do it. Now, Joshua, you do it. You arise and go over this Jordan. And so they did. And they went into the promised land and, and took what God had for them 40 years ago. Took what they could have had 40 years ago. But they messed up and didn't do it. Are y'all here? Oh, Brother Terry, God just loves me so much. He wouldn't do that to me. Yes. He's not going to move out of turn. Oh, Brother Terry, God just loves me so much. He wouldn't bring me back to the same spot and tell me to do the same thing. Yeah. He's not going to move out of turn. He hadn't, he hadn't changed his mind. With God, there's no, no variableness, the Bible says. There's no shadow of turning. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. He said, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. He's not going to change his mind. He's still going to say, now arise and go over this Jordan. So all these miracles I've had in all my life and all the things we've done in the ministry next year will be 50 years, this coming January will be, be 50 years, has all been based on that checker player mentality that God's not going to move if it's your turn. So if God's not moving, you need to go back and say, hey, is it my turn? Whose turn is it? And find out what it is that you're supposed to be doing, what it is that you could be doing in faith that will loose God and loose faith to operate on your behalf. Amen? Amen. 
God's a good checker player, and he's not going to move out of turn. I remember when Jackie and I first, first, first went into the ministry full-time. Now, I had been to the mission fields already. At, at 18, I'd gone to the jungles of Panama, and I lived with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And, and you know, if we shot a parrot, we ate parrot, monkey, we ate monkey, whatever, and didn't shoot anything, didn't eat anything. And I'd come back from there, and then I'd gone to Mexico for a, uh, a few weeks, and then I'd come back from that. And then Jackie and I got married, and on our wedding day, we also got our draft notice from the military, from the Army. So on the same day I got married, I got drafted. I had this letter from President Nixon, said, congratulations, your neighbors have recommended you, and we got this little thing going on in Southeast Asia, and we got, we got three square meals for you and a place to sleep and clothes to wear, and uh, we'll take care of you, but we need you here. for." And so on my wedding day, I got drafted, so after the Army... <laughs> Then we got right back to that same spot. Now we're going to Mexico. We thought we were going to get married and go to Mexico, but we got married, went to the Army, came back. Now we're going to arise and go over this Jordan. And so uh, I had had my own business whenever I was a teenager. Um, I'd always worked. I went to work out in public when I was 13 years old, had my own produce business by the time I was 18 years old, and uh, just, uh, you know, got married and thought we was going to the mission fields and so on and so forth. And uh, so after we, got, uh, after we got out of the Army, then we said, okay, we need to get ready and get prepared and get on down to, get on down to Mexico. And so uh, just before we left uh, to go to Mexico, because we didn't even know where we were going, we had a contact down there that was a lady in way south Mexico, down in Oaxaca, Mexico, where the earthquakes were uh, the, the first part of the month, not the last one in Mexico City, the one before that. And... Uh, uh, we had met this lady down in Oaxaca in a little town called Huchitan, and she told us, she said, you, you kids, said, whenever you uh, get married, then come on down here and work with me, and uh, this can be your jumping-off place or your starting place in Mexico. We said, yeah, great. Well, by the time we went to the Army and then came back and, and uh, contacted her to uh, say we're coming down to be with you, well, she was in the final stages of cancer and died within a couple of weeks. So our one contact in the whole nation of Mexico is dead. And so we still have to go. We still have to go. We didn't know where to go. We just said, well, we're just going to pack our bags, and we're going to head out, and we're going to, go, we're going to start walking south. And, uh, and so uh, but just before we did that, we moved over to a town 40 miles away from our hometown uh, because there's a pastor there that was a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine. And, uh, and so I said to Jackie, I said, I think before we go to Mexico, since we don't know where we're going, I think, I think we'll just go over there for a few weeks, and uh, we'll just I'll be his shadow. I'll just... I'll go where he goes and does what he does and see what, see how he operates and see, see uh, you know, how, faith, how faith, he's using faith in his life. And, uh, and so I, I said, I'm just going to be his shadow for the whole time we're there. I'll just go do whatever he does. And so we did that. And uh, then I'd just back my clock up every morning, set my alarm every morning. I'd find out what his schedule was going to be for the next day. And, and then I'd back my clock up three hours, and then I'd, I'd spend two hours in prayer and, and then, and then take, take time to get ready and then meet him wherever he was. And so, so I was ready to go whenever, whenever I met him. And so this went on for uh, a couple of months. And uh, I remember we, we rented this little house. And this little old house, man, it was bad. I, I'd never lived in a house like that before or since. And uh, uh, West Texas, the wind blows so badly that the wind would blow under that house and blow up through the, through the floor, blow up through the baseboards uh, or through the floorboards. And uh, y- y- y'all don't know, if y'all don't know John Os- if y'all don't know John Wayne or Ronald Reagan, you won't know what linoleum is either. So, but, but, but it had linoleum on the floor. And uh, linoleum just like a big plastic rug, okay? And... Uh, 
this house had linoleum in the living room, but the wind blew under the house and took, blew the linoleum up, and so it was nailed down on all four corners. And so when the wind would blow, that, that linoleum would just pop up like a, you know, just like a tent or something. And, uh, and so we, uh, we were living in this terrible little old house, and uh, we sat down for dinner one day, and me and Jackie and our, our baby, he was two. We'd had him while we was in the Army. And so uh, we were sitting down for the meal, and we just held hands and closed our eyes, and I started praying over the meal like I had done since I was a kid. You know, just going to thank God for the food. Thank you, Father, for this food. And I just stopped halfway through my prayer. I just froze. I just stopped. And Jackie looked up at me, and she said, Anything wrong? And I looked at her, and I said, you know, I really am thankful for this food. I said, God really did supply this food. I said, for the first time in my life, Mama didn't supply it, Daddy didn't supply it, Grandparents didn't supply it, I didn't supply it, my job didn't supply it, the U.S. Army didn't supply it. God actually provided this food. Now, I thanked Him for it all my life, but somebody provided it. Right? Here's another one for you folks that know John Wayne and Vietnam. Y'all remember Jimmy Stewart in the, in the movie Shenandoah? I'm sorry I'm going back on these old rabbit trails or I'm just losing a lot of you, but the rest of you hang on. You know where I'm going with this. In this movie Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart, is back set in the Civil War days, and they sat down to pray over Thanksgiving meal, and Jimmy Stewart sat at the head of the table, and he said, Now, Father, so we thank you for this food. He said, although we provided it, and we plowed the land, and we harvested it. He just went through this whole litany of things that they had done. But, you know, nevertheless, we thank you for it anyway. And that's kind of the way I think we all are. Well, Lord, we thank you for it, although I provide it. But that particular day, it just, all those things hit me that I didn't provide this food. My parents, grandparents didn't provide the food. My job didn't provide the food. Even my military didn't provide the food. That God has provided this food. So, man, I said... I, t- I took another run at it and thanked God seriously for this food. And so uh, within a day or two, I went to the refrigerator and uh, opened the refrigerator and then opened the freezer door. Now, now back in those days, you know, you just had a, a refrigerator, and inside that refrigerator was a little little freezing compartment, a little unit, you know, about yay wide, uh, tall, and wide as the refrigerator was. But and, uh, and And we call that the freezing compartment, you know, for obvious reasons. But... Uh, but they weren't frost-free. Now, I know, again, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Unless you're gray-headed. <laughs> but but those, those units would frost up, and they'd grow, they'd grow ice. Yeah. Not edible ice. You had to put ice. If you wanted to eat the ice, you had to put them in metal trays called ice trays. Anybody remember ice trays? And so, but, but, but these, these freezing units would just grow ice. And you had to get rid of it from time to time. You had to defrost the freezer. And the way you defrosted the freezer is you took an ice pick. Y'all don't know what ice picks are. You took a, you took a sharp-pointed knife, and you chipped that stuff out of there, or you boiled the water on the stove and then put this boiling water. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Put that boiling water inside there, and it'd melt, the, and then you'd clean it out. Well, I walked over to the refrigerator here after a day or two and opened it up, and there was nothing in that refrigerator except two ice trays. No meat, no food, no nothing. And I just looked at it, and I stepped back, and I said, Well, Father, that's not right. 
I said, if we're missionaries and we're going to mission fields and we're going to serve you, uh, there ought to be food in here. There ought to be meat in here. And as soon as I said that, I heard John Osteen's voice in my ear. And he said, God's a good checker player and he's not going to move out of turn. And I sat there and I said, is that right? I said, what could I possibly do to be my move? What, how could it possibly be my move? How can I move in this situation? And then I just said, well, I guess one way I know to move in this situation is, you know, it'll be different, different situations. But in this situation, the only way I know to move is clean this thing out. And so I, I just said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do defrost the refrigerator, and I'm going to clean the whole refrigerator and defrost the freezer, and I'm going to do a good job as unto you, and then you filled it up. It's your move. And I did. I just started chipping away and boiling that water and putting it in there and cleaning it out with a sponge. And Jackie walked in in a little bit, and she said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm cleaning out the refrigerator. I didn't tell her I'm on a faith feed or I'm on a mission from God or I'm operating in faith or I, you know, I'm playing checkers. I didn't, I didn't tell her any of that. I just said, <laughs> I just said, I'm just, I'm cleaning out the refrigerator. Okay. And so I did a good job. I did the freezer. I did the whole refrigerator. I mean, I did it just great. And cause I'm doing it for God. I didn't give it a half-hearted deal, you know. And so when I got through, I stood back and looked at it and I said, okay, sir, it's your move. It's your move. I've moved and that's your move. And I just shut the door and went on about my way. It wasn't two hours till there's a knock on the door. And I went to the door and there's this lady standing there that I had met at a prayer meeting. I didn't know her and she didn't know me. I just met her at a, at a, at a prayer meeting. Now, she's a Methodist lady. Went to First Methodist Church downtown and she'd come out to a charismatic prayer meeting and I was there. And uh, she said, uh, Brother Terry, said, this is really weird. I've never had this happen before. I said, could you come out to my car and help me carry some things in? I said, yes, ma'am. And I went out there, and she had groceries and stuff, and so she had me carried in, into my house. And she said, this never happened to me before, but she said, I'm not even sure I'm doing this right. But she said, I, I was at the grocery store just, just a couple hours ago and said, the Lord told me to buy these things and give to you. And uh, so I thanked her for it and prayed over it for her. And, and uh, she left, and I started putting it away. Jackie and I started putting it away. And, and there was so much meat there that I crammed that freezer so full of meat had to remove the ice trays to get them all in there then i had to take them out and stack and restack to get it because they weren't very big units you know they weren't like what we have today where you got a whole half your refrigerator is your freezer you know and uh, and so i got all that stuff crammed and jammed and, and put in there and whenever i finished i stepped away from it and i said to to, to my wife i said and I, this was not a complaint it sounds sounds like a complaint but it's not it's just a statement of fact i was so amazed I said, Jackie, there is every kind of steak there that there is. I mean, there's T-bones, there's sirloins, and I just went through a litany of, of, of meat that was in the refrigerator. I said, there's everything there but ribeye steak. Now, that wasn't a complaint. That was just a statement of fact. Two hours later, the door knocked. Somebody knocked on the door. <laughs> I went to the door, and it was another lady that I had just met one time at a prayer meeting, and she's standing there with a bag in her hand. And she said, Brother Terry said, this is really weird. This never happened to me before. But she said, I was just at the grocery store buying groceries. And the Lord told me to buy these ribeye steaks and bring over here and give you. So I, I had to go, we had to go cook some meat to make room to put the, to put the ribeyes in. But see, God's a good checker player. And he's not going to move out of turn. And if, it, if, you, if you think something isn't going on like you think it should be going on, you may need to stop and say, Lord, what, who's, uh, whose turn is this? Is it my turn? Is it your turn? Are you waiting on me to move? And then, and then move. Having done all to stand, then you're qualified to stand. But just praying and then saying, hey, I'm standing, 
And then you don't know why it doesn't work. That's why it doesn't work. Thank you, Brother Terry. This is helping me. Well, seriously, it will help you. I mean, I mean, like I said, Brother Osteen told me this in the 70s. It's done me well for 50 years. It will, it will do you well. It'll pay you bills. It'll get you out of trouble. It'll help you get stuff done. It'll, it'll uh, answer questions for you. I mean, I mean, it's worth a million dollars. You can get it for free today just on the CD, but it's, it's worth a million bucks. Um, you're welcome. You're welcome. In about 20 years, you'll still be saying, oh, man, thank God he said that. <laughs> I heard this preacher one day said, God's a good checker player, and he won't move out of turn. Change my life. Amen? You don't even have to give me credit for it. You, just, you may not even remember who said it to you, but it, it, it'll, be, it'll work for you in all the areas of your life. Amen. We, uh, let's see what time it is. You guys get out at 1130 usually? All right. I don't want to get in trouble. I've always found out in preaching now, and it's not, it isn't fair since Mike isn't here uh, to say it behind his back, but I always find out when pastors tell me, you know, what time they get out, I always, I always find out that what he says and what the card says usually doesn't. Usually doesn't gel, but uh, <clears throat> but anyway, we um, we were living in 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 Oaxaca, Mexico. Jackie and I and our baby. We it's right after that incident of the meat. We moved on down to Mexico, and uh, God sent us to Oaxaca. Oaxaca's not the end of the world, but it's certainly visible from there. And uh, <laughs> and this was this was in the early seventies. So now you you go to Oaxaca today, you'd find Walmart. You know, and you'd find, uh, you know, Whataburger, and you'd find Office Depot, and you'd find all kind of American places to eat and, and, and shop and do and so on and so forth. And, uh, but, but back then, none of that was there. Plus, there was, no, there was no refrigeration in the whole town, so therefore there was no grocery stores with meat markets uh, or dairy cases. You, know, you couldn't get milk in Oaxaca unless you, unless you got out of a cow or a goat. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't buy meat, prepackaged meat. Uh, the only way we ever bought meat was whenever the butcher in town killed something. Then he hung a red flag outside the store, and then everybody in town knew that he had meat. But, you know, it wasn't cut in chops and steaks and stuff like that. It was just, if you've ever been to a third-world country or third-world market, you know you, you know what I'm talking about. It's just hanging up in strips. They cut it in strips and then hang it up. It would be, be a strip yeah, that long, and he'll just cut it in strips and hang it to dry in the air because they can't refrigerate it, and it's going to rot. And, and so, you know, it's got to just hang up and dry in the air. And then, of course, it's covered with flies. And so you go in there, and that's how you, that's how you buy your meat. And so we'd go buy our meat. If he had the red flag out, we'd go buy our meat, and we'd take it home, and we'd baptize it in Clorox. You know, we'd take Clorox bleach and <laughs> baptize that meat. And Clorox is a missionary's friend. So we, we, we baptized our, our, our meat, our vegetables, and our babies in Clorox. And... Um, well, you know how a baby is. You put them in the bath water, and then they'll take the washcloth and start putting it in their mouth, and they'll suck on it and swallow that water. So we'd we'd put four drops of, you know, four four drops to a gallon, four drops of Clorox to a gallon of water in in the bath water for the baby and stir it all up, you know. And they, they'd smell like they came out of a swimming pool, but uh, <laughs> but at least when they swallowed that water, it didn't kill them. You know, it didn't it didn't hurt them. They had uh, they had protection. So thank God for Clorox. It's a missionary's friend, and. Uh, and I realize today, you modern guys, I realize we can go down to uh, a camping store or a hunting store or any kind of store anymore, Walmart for that matter, and uh, just buy a filter that you can just go stick it in a mud puddle and drink straight out of the mud puddle. But again, we didn't, 
We didn't have that back in the early 70s. You had bleach. So, uh, in fact, I had Renee out on a camping trip and fishing trip up in Canada last year, and I had her drinking bleach water. So, And she's still here. Smell like a swimming pool, but, you know. But anyway, we live in, 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 in Oaxaca. And uh, while we were there in Oaxaca, the Lord really put it on my heart for us to go to uh, a large city called Guadalajara, but where there was a, a Spanish language school. And I'd been studying Spanish since I was 13 years old. God spoke to me at age 13 said, you're a missionary. So I thought, you know, for a West Texas boy, 89 miles away from Mexico, I just thought, well, Mexico, that's, that's the whole world, you know. I didn't think about the rest of the world. But So I started studying Spanish at 13, and I'd already had five years of Spanish, and I'd been to Panama and, and uh, you know, Spanish there, and then back to Mexico, Spanish there. And so I, I, I spoke Spanish and even preached in Spanish. But but I wasn't, you know, I needed to, I needed to tune it up. And so um, the Lord really laid on my heart to go up to, to Guadalajara to go to Spanish school for a few weeks and then come back down to, I thought, then we would come back to, to Oaxaca. That didn't happen, but that's what I thought we would do. And so uh, Jackie and I just made a decision, prayed about it, and prayed about it and felt led of the Lord that we should move to Guadalajara. Now, you understand we're faith missionaries, and we have no money. We're illegal aliens. You know, we're wetbacks, and uh, we, 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 have no, we have no way to get a job. We can't get a job and get paid. You understand that? I mean, it works both sides of the border. And, uh, and so we had no way to, to get an income except for God supplying it through, through partners in the state. And, of course, we didn't know anybody. Nobody knew us. And, and the few people we did know didn't give to us, and some of them didn't think we should even be there. And, and I had one pastor in the States, and he said, Terry, I'll give you $100 a month, but then he didn't. And so we, we were just in Mexico believing God to feed us, and he did. Uh, and so now we're going to make this move from Oaxaca to Guadalajara, and, of course, it's going to cost money, uh, and there's no way to tell anybody we're going. We don't have a mailing list. We don't have a newsletter. Nobody knows our name except heaven, which is pretty good. And, uh, and so uh, we just made this determination that we're going to leave and, and go, to, go to Guadalajara and, and uh, get us a place to live and uh, go to language school. Now, we have no check, checking account, no bank account. We have no credit cards. We have no money, no nothing. I mean, either God shows up or we don't eat. Everybody understand that? I know that's a different concept, but that's, that's what, what we used to call faith. And, uh, and so we were down there on, on faith and in faith. And so when the Lord said to move, we just said, okay, we'll, we'll move. And so we just arbitrarily set a date that we were going to move. And we picked a date. I don't know if it was two weeks or 10 days or 21 days or whatever it was in, in the future. And said, okay, on that date, we're, we're moving. And so uh, between that date and the day we left, uh, money didn't come in. And money didn't come in. And money didn't come in. And I had me and Jackie and, this, and a baby... And then we had a young lady that was uh, two or three years older than we were. She was 27 years old. She was a single uh, school teacher. And uh, she uh, wrote to us and said, can I come down and live with you all for a few you know, months and just see what mission is like? And we said, sure, come on down. So, so I had her and Jackie and me and a baby and had to get to Guadalajara uh, and uh, so on and so forth. And so as the day got closer for us to leave, you know, there's just still no money and no money and no money. And Jackie said to me more than once, she said, what, 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 what are we going to do? And I said, well, I believe the money will be here before we leave. But I said, but if it's not, we're just going to leave anyway. And uh, she said, well, how are we going to do that? I said, well, we're just going to go in faith. I said, you know, we'll, you have to take a bus to, uh, from Oaxaca to Mexico City, which is 13 hours. 
And uh, I said, then you have to uh, go across town to another bus line, another bus station that serves the West Coast. We'll go from Mexico City to, to Guadalajara. And I said, uh, God's just going to have to show up and supply, and I believe he will. And so it got closer and closer and closer, and finally we was within a couple of days of leaving, and still no money had come in except just a little bit I had in my pocket. And she said, Jackie said, what are you, you going to do? I said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to go on up to the bus station today, and I'm going to buy our tickets. Just in faith, I'm going to buy our tickets to Mexico City. And I said, that's, how, that's, that's a being a good checker player. If it's God's turn, God's turn then I'm, if he's waiting on me to move, I'm going to move. And the only, the only money I have is to get, get us to Mexico City, and that's it. And uh, then we're just, we're just going to leave. She said, then what are we going to do when we get to Mexico City? I said, well, we'll just go across town to the other bus station and go stand in line and wait to buy tickets, and God will show up before we get to the window and buy our, buy our tickets. But now, you know, when we get to Guadalajara, we know nobody. We have no place to stay. I mean, we, we don't know a soul in Guadalajara. And so uh, Jackie's very, you know, always had faith in my faith. And so she said, well, if you believe that's God, we'll, we'll do it. And so I went to the bus station, walked to the bus station, bought our tickets, came back from the bus station, had tickets for me and the young lady and Jackie and the baby. And, uh, and, and I had $8 left, whole $8 left for this whole journey. And uh, sure enough, a couple of days later, got time for us to leave. We left at night so we could try to sleep at, in the bus. That was a joke. Uh, 13-hour bus trip around, around mountains like that. And, uh, and so we got on, we, we left and got on the bus and t- took our belongings with us. And, and uh, we're riding to Mexico City, this 13-hour trip. And uh, Jackie got so ill or nauseous on the, on the trip that she said, you've got to pray for me. I, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And, uh, and I reached over and just laid hands on her stomach like that. And I said, devil, you get off of her and you get on your own kids. We're not going to mess with this. Now, in Jesus' name, get on your kids and get off of God's kids. And three, three people behind us threw up. And uh, Jackie said, see, that's how sick I was. I was sick enough for three people. She said, they've ridden this bus all their life, probably never thrown up, you know. So we got to, uh, we got to Mexico City in the, in the daytime, in the, in the morning, the next morning. And uh, she said, well, what are we going to do now? I said, well, like I said, we're just going to go across, get us a taxi and go across town and stand in line and order tickets for Guadalajara and see what God does. You know, God's going to have to show up. And she said, she said, okay, I'm for all that. She said, but I'm so tired. She's pregnant. We didn't realize she was pregnant, but she was pregnant. Now. And uh, she said, I'm just so tired. And then that bus trip was so bad. She said, can we go over to, uh, to uh, the, these missionaries' house? I had met a missionary a few years earlier, and uh, Brother Wayne Myers. In fact, it was just Renee and I were just there at his house for his 95th birthday last month, or in August. And, uh, but anyway, I'd met him when I was 18 years old. And he said, you know, come down and see me. And I had his address. And she said, can we just go to the missionaries you told me about? Sure. I said, I'll tell you what you do. I said, we'll go and, and rest. But then this afternoon, we're going to the bus station. I said, we're not going to tell them what we're doing, except that we're going to Guadalajara. But we're not going to tell them we don't have any money. We're not going to tell them anything. We don't, we, we've made a commitment to God. We had never asked for a place to preach and never tell anybody what our needs were. And so we said, so we're not going to do that. She said, well, I understand that. We won't mention that. But I do need some rest. I said, okay, let's, well, let's do it. So we went to their house, and uh, they were so precious and so sweet and brought us in and prepared a meal. And Jackie just went straight to bed. And, and so uh, after the meal, we were sitting there and visiting, and Brother, Brother Wayne said, Now, what are, you, what are you kids doing? I said, Well, we're going to Guadalajara. And I said, I'm going to study some Spanish, and, and then we'll go back to Oaxaca. I don't know how long we're going to stay or what we're going to do, but, but that's, that's the plan at this point. And he said, Okay, great. And we talked a little while longer. And then, then he said, You know what? He said, uh, he said, there's a convention that's going to happen in Guadalajara in the next uh, couple of weeks. 
and he said, and I'm one of the speakers. He said, so uh, he said, John Osteen's coming down. He's one of the speakers. He said, you know, Brother John? I said, oh, yeah, I've known Brother John since I was 15 years old. And he said, and he listed several other guys that were going to be speaking, and he listed uh, some people I didn't know and, and a couple that I did. So he said, so he said, so Martha and I are going to Mexico City for that convention. He said, but we're not going to take the bus. He said, we're going to take a train. He said, that's really what you ought to do. He said, the train's just so much nicer. And he said, they're made in the States. They're Pullman cars, and you can get a sleeper car, and there's a dining car. And then he said, you know, you can just you can just wander from one end of the bed. you got the baby, and you all can wander up and down the deal, and you can go to the dining car and eat, and you can sleep in your own sleeping car. And he said, then you wake up in the morning, and you're in Guadalajara. And he said, that's what you all ought to do. And I said, well, praise God. That sounds great. I think that's what we'll do. Now, I've still got these just a few dollars in my pocket. That's all I've got. And he said, well, that's great. He said, uh, he said, I'm going to get my tickets, in fact, this afternoon. And he said, so when I go get my tickets, just go with me, and you can buy your tickets. And then, then instead of y'all going by a bus, you can, you can go by train. I said, praise the Lord. That's just a great idea. I said, oh, I'll just do that. <laughs> I was just glad Jackie was sleeping, you know. <laughs> and uh, so finally, the dreaded hour arrived where we had to go to the train station. He said, well, let's go. Let's go get the tickets. So we got in the car, and he was driving. I'm on the other side. My head, you know, is going boom, 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 you know. Then the devil's putting this thing on me. You know, this is a great man of God, and here you're, you're, you know, deceiving him, and you're doing this and this and this and this. And uh, so I'm rebuking the devil on one side and believing God on the other side. And I said, I'm just playing checkers. That's all I'm doing is playing checkers. And so uh, we finally, we got to the train station. I saw it I saw it as we drove up, and I was thinking, I was hoping it'd be another hour or two. But uh, we drove in, the, drove in the parking lot, and uh, Brother Wayne... Uh, uh, looked over at me and he said, you know, son, it's going to be a miracle if you get these tickets. And I thought, you have no idea. <laughs> and he said, because, you know, I've ordered mine weeks in advance and I'm picking them up today and then going in two weeks. And he said, you want yours just for this afternoon. So he said, it'll be a real miracle if you can even, even get the tickets. And I said, well, God specializes in miracles. I believe we'll get them. So, uh, we walked in and walked up to the, to the window and and uh, Brother Wayne ordered his tickets and got them and paid for them. And, uh, and, he, and, and I started to step up. He said, let me, let me order them. He said, I'll, I'll order them and you can pay for them. So he got them all ordered and told them what train we needed to be on and so on and so forth. And so they put the tickets up there on the counter. And so uh, Brother Wayne just stepped back like this. And I just stepped forward and stuck my hand in my pocket like I had money, you know. And, and, and he reached over and put his, hand on, his arm on my hand and said, wait, wait. He said, uh, I'll just pay for them now and you can pay me back when you get the house. And I didn't know if that was good or bad. <laughs> on the one hand, I think, well, praise God. And on the other hand, I'm thinking, now you're cheating. Now you're cheating the man of God. So I said, okay, thank you. <clears throat> Driving back to his house was miserable. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting there, and he's talking, and I don't know what he said. He's just talking and telling me stuff, and I'm like, uh-huh. And so uh, when, we, when we got back to the house, as we pulled up in his driveway, he said, he said, you know, son, said, God just spoke to me, said, to, uh, to go ahead and pay for those tickets. That's our gift to you. He said, and besides that, he told me to give you a $100 bill. So he reached in his pocket and handed me $100. And uh, so I, I thanked him and thanked the Lord and, and uh, got in there. And by this time, Jackie's awake, and they had told her what we were doing, that we had gone down to buy tickets, and she was just sweating blood, you know. <laughs> so I took her in the bedroom and told her what, what had happened, that we had now had... Now had $100 plus train tickets plus those few dollars, that $8 that I had originally, a little bit left off, off of that. And uh, 
So we, they took us to the train station that afternoon. Y'all get anything out of this? Yes. This will help you. I tell you, next time you get to the Jordan and God says, now arise and go over that Jordan, you, you know, this will this will help you in your faith. And, uh, and so we uh, rode this nice train and slept and, and wonderful trip and all that stuff, pulled into the Guadalajara station next morning. Now, remember, we don't know a soul in Guadalajara. I've got this $100 and 100 plus, you know, not eight anymore, but whatever I had, 105, 107, 106, something. Don't know where to stay. Don't have a place to stay. Don't know anybody in town. And so we gathered our luggage, and they opened the train door, and I walked off the, the train, stood on the train station, and here's this American guy standing there. And he looks at me, and he said, uh, he said, hello, sir. He said, uh, um, how, did he, how did he say that to me? Anyway, he said to me, he said, uh, are you coming to town for my convention? And I said, well, I don't know, sir, who are you, and I don't know what kind of convention do you have. And he said, well, I'm, I'm Bernie Davis. And he said, uh, I'm having a convention here this next week. And he said, John Osteen's coming, and, and Wayne Myers is coming from Mexico City, and a bunch of people are coming. And he said, I'm down here at the train station meeting some people, and I thought maybe you were them. And I said, well, no, I'm not them. But I said, I know John Osteen real well, and I know Wayne Myers real well, and I just came from Brother Myers' house. And he said, well, what are you doing in town then if you didn't come for the convention? I said, well, I came up here to study Spanish a little bit. We, we live in Oaxaca, but I'm going to study Spanish for a while and then go back. And he said, well, don't do that right now. He said, help me with this convention. And I said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. I'd, I'd be delighted to go to a convention. And, uh, and he said, where are you staying? I said, well, I don't even know yet. And he said, well, just come to my house. And he said, well, we'll work all that out later. So he grabbed us up. Whoever he was supposed to meet never did show up. And... Uh, <laughs> And so he grabbed us up and our luggage and took us out to his house and introduced us to his wife. And, and so we stayed there for several days. And God, so that was just a miracle. Amen. Amen. Then it came time for the convention to start. And, and he was having the convention at the Hilton Hotel downtown. And uh, so I didn't want to stay at the Hilton. I mean, for obvious reasons, we didn't have, still didn't have any money or didn't know anybody. And, and so, uh, so I put us in a different hotel, a cheaper hotel, several blocks away. And so, you know, again, this is an old story that most of y'all are too young for. But you remember in those days you didn't have to pay for a hotel when you checked in? You just paid when you check out. You didn't pop a credit card down. Nobody had credit cards. You just, you just went in, signed your name, and then you just stayed however many days you were going to stay. And then whenever you left, they gave you a bill. And, and so you didn't have to pay to get in. You just had to pay to get out. So, uh, so we went to this hotel, and I signed in. And I uh, didn't have any money except this hundred and whatever dollars in my pocket. And uh, we went in there, and, and uh, the, the convention started, and we started having this great meeting, and Brother Osteen and Dodie came down, and we, I was glad to see them and they me, and we visited, and, and then two or three other people that some of them I knew and most of them I didn't that I got to know and, and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, during this convention, uh, the first days of the convention, I started asking people that I would meet that lived there in town, a lot of mostly American medical students that I was meeting, and uh, they had gone down there to study uh, medicine. And so uh, uh, I would ask them, say, do you all know of any apartments in town? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know where an apartment is. I know an apartment. I know an apartment. So I just ask all kinds of people. And, and then during break time, during the day from the convention, then, then I'd get them to run me out and look at an apartment. And uh, the very first day I got there, somebody told me about a really nice apartment. Now, you remember now, I've been praying for weeks about a place to stay in Guadalajara. This didn't just happen this day I got there. I mean, as soon as God said go to Guadalajara, Jackie and I started believing God for a house and a place to stay. And, uh, and we said, Lord, it needs to be a nice place. It needs to be a place the baby can play. And, and in those days, most, most apartments in Mexico, even though Guadalajara is a nice up, up, upscale town, uh, 
uh, most of them didn't have screens on the windows. Most of them didn't have light fixtures. They just had a, a, a wire coming down with a light bulb in it. Uh, and, and certainly no yard to play in. They might have an indoor patio when you walk in right off the street, and there might be an open courtyard, and, then, and that's all, but no, no, no yard. And so we had really put some things on the, on the line there that we were expecting for a yard for the baby and screens on the windows and light fixtures. And, and, uh, and so uh, this, this, the first day, this medical student told me, he said, I know where there's, there's four apartments, and he said, only one of them's rented. And he said, it's really, really nice. You ought to go out there. Uh, and, and, and check that out. And so I tried to get somebody to take me out there, and when I gave them the address, it was out in Sapopan, and when I gave them the address, they said, oh, no, 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 that, that, that area is too expensive. You can't go out there. And so they took me to see these other apartments, and they didn't have screens, and they had light wires coming down, and they didn't have a place to play, and they, they were, some of them I wouldn't have lived in, some I would, but they just weren't what we had believed God for. And uh, so this went on for the whole week of the convention. I'd run out and look at an apartment. I'd ask them to take me to see the ones open. No, you can't go out there. And they'd go show me the other ones. I didn't like any of the other ones. This went on day after day after day after day. Finally, the convention's uh, just about over the last night. And um, whoever was preaching that night was, was uh, ministering on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and getting people filled, calling people up to get filled. And whoever it was said, Brother Terry, come up here and help us uh, get these people filled with the spirits. So I said, yes, sir. And I went up there and I started praying, helping people get filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, while I was praying for somebody, I got a tap on the shoulder. And I turned around and looked, and it was a, an American guy, older gentleman that I had met that week, who lived there in Guadalajara and was a businessman. And uh, uh, I, I said, yes, sir, can I help you? And he said, yeah. He said, God just told me I'm supposed to help you find an apartment. And I said, well, that's really nice, but I'm kind of busy. Can we talk later? <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, he, he said, uh, just talk to me here in a few minutes. So I, after service, I, we talked, and he said, where are you staying at? And I told him the hotel. He said, well, I'm going to run by there tomorrow, and I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to take you and help you find an apartment, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help you. And I said, well, that's wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so the next morning I got up, and, and I told the girls, no, Jackie and the young lady that's staying with us, I said, I said, let's sit down and let's set our faith and believe God. I said, Jesus said that, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and and all these things, T-H-I-N-G-S, will be added to you. And I said, the T-H-I-N-G-S that Jesus was talking about, the things he was talking about, was food, clothing, and shelter. And I said, now, we've got clothing, but I said, we need food and shelter. And I said, so we're going to pray. We're going to believe God. And I said, then I'm going to act in faith. God's a good checker player. He's not going to move out of turn. And I said, so I'm going to act in faith and move. I'm going to call the front desk and I'm going to figure up our bill that we're checking out. And so we're going to have to pay our bill, which I don't have any money to pay it. And I said, and we're going to have to pay our bill, and we're going to have to get out of here. But I said, once we do, then we don't have a place to stay. So we're moving in faith, expecting God to move. And I decree in the name of Jesus as a man of God in the office God's called me to that we'll have our own place tonight. We'll have our own place, and we'll have our own food. We've already got clothes, but we'll have food, and we'll have shelter tonight uh, by bedtime in Jesus' name. So we prayed for that. We're two or three agrees, touching one thing. You know, anyway, we're two of you agrees, touching one thing. And so uh, I called the front desk, and I said, check us out. Figure out my bill. I'm checking out. And they said, okay, yes, sir. And then um, just a few minutes later, this gentleman called me. The city is going to come by and pick us up and help us. He called me and said, you know what? I can't do that. He said, I'm busy. I, I, can't, uh, I can't take you to look for an apartment. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, just come downstairs in 10 minutes. And he said, I'm going to drive by there, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you some money. And, but I can't, I can't help you with, you know, trying to go find an apartment. And I said, okay. And so he came by, and, and uh handed me $125, and I thanked him and prayed for it over, and I walked straight to the front desk, and I said, have you figured out my bill yet? And they said, yes, sir, and I said, what's my bill? And they handed it to me, and it was $124, and so I handed them the $125, and I got a dollar back, 
So I already had had $50. Somebody during the week would give me a $50 bill, so I had $50, and now I got $51. And so um, I called one of the other people that I'd met there that week and said, would you show us a couple of apartments today? He said, sure. And so when he got there, I said, you know, I asked you the first week to take me out to Spokane to see this apartment. He said, no, you just can't see that, man. He said, it's too expensive out there. You just can't go out there. And he said, let me show you some others. So he drug us around until it got almost dark. I mean, it was, it was getting late in the day. And we just looked at apartments that weren't good and weren't what we had prayed for. And, and, uh, and, and, and Jackie would say, well, you know, you know we, we need to take one of these cheap apartments. We need to do something. I said, Jackie, why is it, why, what, 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 what does it matter how much it costs? We don't have any money. I said, God's paying for it. I ain't got any money. I got $51. I said, so, you know, God's paying for it. So it, 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 that's, that's not a factor. Let's just go find the, what we prayed for. So we looked and looked, and nothing happened. And finally, it was almost dark. And I grabbed this guy and shook him. And I said, I have asked you for a week to take me out here and show me this apartment. I said, now take me out there. He said, well, okay, I'll take you out there. But I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not going to work out. That's just, that's just not going to happen. So he took me out there. We got there just as the sun was setting. It was just, just, just getting dark. And what had happened is a lady's husband had died. And so she was a widow, and she lived by herself in this big house. And then she had big property, totally surrounded by a fence. She had like a city block property that was totally surrounded by like a 12-foot fence. And she had decided for some extra income, she had built four apartments and rent them out to American medical students. And so she had these four apartments, two down and two up, uh, sitting there off to the side of her house. And so we, we pulled up in there and knocked on her door, and she took us over and showed us the apartment. It was just lovely. It had screens on the windows. It had light fixtures. Uh, it had a city block for our baby to play in. It had avocado trees and it had beautiful flowers, roses and hydrangeas and be- be- I mean a whole old city block fence for the baby to play in. And I said, "Well, this is it. We're we're gonna we're gonna take this." I said, "You know what's the rent?" And she told us. And she said, "Here's what I require." She said, "I require first month's rent and last month's rent now up front, plus a year's contract." And I said, "I said, okay. Well, here's what's going to happen." I said, I'm not a medical student. I'm a missionary, and I don't intend to stay here for a year. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but it'll be some months or, or, or maybe a year. Who knows? But I, I just can't tell you that. I can't guarantee that to you. So I said, so no contract. And I said, and I can't give you first month's and last month's today, nor can I give you current rent today, <laughs> but in 30 days I'll give you first month's, last month's, and current. I'll give you three months' rent in 90 days. And she said, okay. And so... So uh, she said, by the way, she said, this place is furnished. And I said, well, I can see that. You know, it's got furniture. I said, I can see that. She said, no, no, I mean it's completely furnished. She said, it's got, wa- it's got dishes and towels and sheets and pillows and bedspreads and knives and forks. And I mean, you're ready to move in and live. And so uh, we shook hands, and I thanked her, and she walked out. And Jackie and I and this young lady just sat down and just cried, you know. And, uh, and so uh, I said, well, girls, I told you we'd have... We'd have food, clothing, and shelter tonight. We'd be in our own place tonight. I said, so here's our beautiful, lovely place, two-bedroom. And I said, uh, and I said, and I've still got this $51. And I said, I saw a little tienda down here at the end of the road, a little store. And I said, so I'm going to walk down there and buy some groceries. And so we'll have food and clothing, I mean, food and shelter tonight. And uh, let's give God the glory. So we, we just thank God and praise God and, 
and uh, we're all so happy. And so I walked out the front door to go walk down to the little grocery store, and in pulls a car uh, into this apartment, little four, in, in front of this two down and two up apartments. There was just a wrought iron gate where they had built a driveway, and so, so this, this car pulls up into the driveway. And uh, this American guy gets out, and I'm, I'm walking past him to go to the store and start walk, to go walk down to the store. And he said, hey, are you moving in here? And I said, I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, my name's so-and-so. I said, well, my name's Terry Myers. And he said, uh, are, you, are you a med student? I said, no, I'm not. He said, are you a missionary? And I said, yeah, I am a missionary. And he said, praise God, are you spirit-filled? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, praise God. I said, I've been praying and believing God for a spirit-filled missionary to move in here that I could talk to and, 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 and believe God with. And, uh, and I said, well, come on in, meet my, meet my wife, another young lady that's traveling with us. And so uh, he went and we took in and made introductions all around. We sat there and talked. And he said, he said, uh, he said well, I just got in town today. He said, I've been gone for several weeks uh, to visit my parents in Pennsylvania. And he said, so I, I've just gotten back in, in town today and said, just pulled in the driveway. And there you are. So I'm, I'm so delighted. And we said, well, we are too. And, and he said, hey, just wait a minute. Just don't, don't move. Just stay right here. So he ran out, runs upstairs, comes back with a five-gallon bottle of water. And he said, uh, and he said on our cabinet, he said, here, I want you to have this. And we said, well, well, thank you. That's really sweet. And he said, wait, wait, no, 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 that's not all. He runs upstairs, and he makes about three trips, and he brings down two big boxes of groceries. And he said, uh, he said this is the weirdest thing. He said, I, I'm a single guy, and I don't cook. Don't know how to cook. Don't cook. He said, he said I, I have lots of friends here, and I eat at their houses, I, either by invitation or I mooch off of them. But he said... Uh, he said, you know, I, I never buy groceries and never cook. And he said, I flew into town today and driving home from the airport, the Spirit of the Lord told me to stop at the grocery store. And, and I went up, got me a buggy, buggy, went up and down the aisles, and God said, buy this, and I bought it, and buy that, and I bought it, and buy this. And I bought. He said, stuff I'd never, ever, ever buy. And he said, now I know I was buying for you. And so, uh, so we thanked him and prayed for him and hugged him. And, and he went on up to his apartment, and there we were with our own food, Five gallons of water and our own shelter, and I still had my fifty-one dollars in my pocket. Wow. And then by thirty days, by thirty days, I'd paid the lady the ninety, uh, the, the three months rent. And uh, so God's a good checker player, and He's not going to move out of turn. If it's God's turn, He'll move. If it's your turn, He won't move. James tells us three times: faith without works is dead. There's so many Christians missing so many blessings just simply because they're not moving in faith. They're not acting in faith. They think they're in faith. But according to James, what they think is faith is really dead. See, we, we, we faith people, we, we, we so glorify faith, and rightly so. And we so love faith, and rightly so, that we just talk faith all the time, but sometimes we forget the fundamentals and the foundations of how it works. And if it's not... If, if it's not working, it's not faith. I'm not sure you heard me. See, faith is just a noun. Nouns are dead. Tombstone is a noun. Cemetery is a noun. Casket is a noun. Faith is a noun. It has to have action. We're going to have to give it a verb. Faith without works is dead. You know, they say about Smith Wigglesworth, they say that he used to just run from one side of the platform to the other, back to the other, back to the other, back, just yelling, faith is an act, faith is an act, faith is an act, faith is an act, until people just finally get it inside of them that faith without works is dead. Faith, standing alone, 
is dead. If it's your move, God's not going to move. Even though you think you're in faith, you're talking like you're in faith, you really think, you really believe you're in faith, you need to stop and check and see if it's your turn or not because if something's not working, it's probably your turn and God's not going to move out of turn. And what you think is faith really isn't faith at all. It's dead not having any action because faith doesn't want some action. Faith demands action. Amen, Brother Terry. That's really good. Well, thank you. Amen. That, that will change your life. If you'll get a hold of that, that'll change your life. It'll change your life. Faith without works. James says us three times, faith without works is dead. And we get so excited just at the word faith. Yay, faith. And I do too. Hey, I'm operating in faith. Well, but are you? Hey, I'm standing in faith. Yeah, but, but are you? What time is it? It's, it's 11... 32. Man, I'm, I'm close. I'm close. Stand up with me. Did y'all get something out of that? I, I'm looking at a bunch of people that can do wonders and wonders and have miracles and have miracles and have the things you're confessing and have the things you're believing. But remember, it's not, it's not magic. It's not God waving his magic wand and, you know, are you rubbing the Bible and getting three genies and, and get three wishes 